Amen. Praise the Lord. Give him a big shout of praise. All right. It's good to be in the Lord's house. This is the Lord's house. We have dedicated this place to a place to meet with him. And God has been so faithful to meet with us. And I'm not expecting anything less tonight. We're going to get into the word of the Lord. I'm going to uh, start with a, what I'm call a pretext. I'm going to use a passage of scripture. And then I'm going to use another passage of scripture shortly. And I'm going to tie those things together. So if you have your Bibles, this is a familiar passage to you, but it's a short scripture. But it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Father, we come to you tonight in the precious name of Jesus Christ. We have assembled in your presence, Father, and we earnestly await, Father, Lord, for you to speak to our hearts. Father, we believe in the word of God. We believe in you. We believe that you're in our midst tonight, Father. At this opportune time, God, I believe you want to speak to our hearts and give us instruction and lead our paths. And we give you praise for it in Christ's holy name. Amen. We're living in a time when this nation definitely needs God's direction. Now, tonight, my sermon will be drawn from the book of Habakkuk in hopes of speaking to this body of believers to provide insight and hope to each and every one of us. You know, a healthy church is a spiritual church. It's a church that's willing to follow God's instructions and receive God's corrections. This is a defining moment, I believe, for the church. And we're going to have to learn, yes, I'm implying we don't know how, we're going to have to learn how to be the church in the midst of this chaos. And it can't look like nor act like the church in the days of its prosperity. We have a greater responsibility. It can no longer be a church guilty of substance abuse, where grace is the substance and we've abused it. It is constantly being proclaimed we're in an unprecedented time as a nation. But the God who knows our past and the God who knows our future has already set precedence. By what he did then, he'll do now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He delivered his people then, and he'll deliver his people now. Amen? This period in history in Habakkuk's day was a very troublesome time for Israel. There was chaos, there was violence, there was turmoil, injustice, idolatry, all present this day. The nation Israel is in a rebellious stage in their history at this, at this point in time. And God is prepared to allow adversity, even use their enemy to conquer their sinful practices and behavior in an effort to turn their hearts back to him. Habakkuk struggles during this period of time to understand God's goodness in the midst of all the evil and injustice going on in his nation. Even as a prophet, he's discouraged. He's seen evil as winning. He's discouraged because he's been praying and praying, and it seems as though nothing is changing. Matter of fact, it's even getting worse. The major lesson to be learned from the book of Habakkuk tonight is how to grow from a faith of perplexity and doubt in the worst of times, to the height of absolute trust in God. That will in return bring forth a refreshing upon a nation, even down to the, an individual believer that has become lethargic, perhaps even reckless, in their relationship and dependence upon God. 
I believe that is where we're at as a nation, as a church, and it's what we must strive to do as well during these times, and that is to learn to come to an absolute trust in God that will settle the perplexity of our faith. Perplexity is the inability to understand something complicated. And faith only becomes a complicated thing when human reasoning is used to try to understand it. Our finite wisdom is no match for God's infinite wisdom, church. So therefore, there are times it becomes perplexing to our faith. These times we're living in are perplexing for a man or a woman of faith. Currently, Christians are stunned by the recent turn of events in our nation. Their faith has been shaken. They're questioning God. They feel defeated and crushed and let down. But I've come to declare to the church, O daughter of Zion, the anchor holds though the ship is battered, the anchor holds in spite of the storm. And that no matter what it looks like, no matter how dark it gets, we must learn how to stand up and declare by faith, I will trust the Lord even though he slay me. Praise the name of the Lord. It's becoming perplexing knowing that what we know of Scripture and God's promises. And yet it seemingly looks like everything around us is collapsing and is unfavorable to the body of Christ. And many are wondering, God, where are you at? We are praying and we're fasting and we're interceding. And yet it looks like the results that are common to our eyes are not favorable. God, where are you at? Doubt is arising within us. But yet we must grow even these troubling times to a, to a place from a, from a faith of perplexity and doubt to a height of a place of absolute trust in God. The scripture that I read said, trust in the Lord with all of thine heart. Our adversity that we're facing does not have to destroy our faith, but actually it can be used to grow our faith. If handled right, restoring us back into a right standing with God. I told you a month ago that there's going to be a reformation of the church. And reformation means making changes to something with the intention of setting it back on the right path. It means setting it back in order. And that's what God's doing, church. Hype and methods and programs and formalities and religious conduct won't work in this hour. This is an hour of reformation that will be led by a spiritual revolution. And all this mamby-pamby, politically, culturally correct preaching to itching ears is hogwash. It's of no spiritual effect. Why? Because it's not been birthed out of the fervent prayers of a righteous man, but out of the egocentric minds of men of flesh. Their undoctrinated speech is causing them to become spiritual assassins that are doing more harm than good to the gospel message. They are killing the message of hope for all over again. They're crucifying truth over all over again. And who is truth? Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's just way too many who aren't trusting in God in our troubles and wondering where he's at. Yes, he's promised to us to be our very present help in times of trouble. Too many are trusting in the self and man and news programs and celebrities and governments and chariots and horses. And none of those things can be you be absolute of in all of this uncertainty. And as a result, we have welcomed trouble to our nation. For there are consequences to sin and doubt. Psalms 118.8 says, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. My assignment for tonight is for us to visit the book of Habakkuk and receive insight and instruction for this hour. From lessons learned by Jude in the days of the prophet Habakkuk who witnessed these things. Let me say it one more time because it's worth repeating. The major theme of the book of Habakkuk 
is how to grow from a faith of perplexity and doubt to the height of having absolute trust in God. So Habakkuk's first complaint was, Israel had become violent, unjust, corrupt, and the leaders aren't doing anything about it. There's total lawlessness was apparent. Habakkuk, as a prophet, had been continuously asking God to intervene, but nothing was changing. So let's dig in. Verse 1 of the chapter 1 describes to me the cause of this chapter. It says, Habakkuk was a prophet who had a burden because of what he visually saw in a vision, proclaiming a prophecy he was to deliver, implying his burden came from what he was witnessing as he saw what the people of his nation were fixing to go through which was that their enemy was seemingly going to appear to destroy them unjustly. What he witnessed was a burdensome to this prophet. A burden is a heavy, weighty thing. In this case, the injustice he perceived was weighing heavy on the prophet's mind and heart. It was perplexing to his faith. Why would God allow this to happen to a people he loved? That thought collided with his faith causing him to wonder why God would choose judgment to solve Israel's problems instead of just sending a revival. After all, Habakkuk knew what it was like to live during a time of revival. As many of you have been living, lived through those times too yourself, many of you know what true revival looks like. You've experienced the manifestations of the healing and deliverance before your very eyes. You were a personal witness to the demonstration of his power. There was a hunger and thirst for righteousness that resulted in his visitations in that hour of time. And revival often led to repentance, which often reversed the course of society, setting them back on a moral track. Some of you have been in the camp meetings where your witness is presence coming in the room like a fog. You've danced in the spirit around the old pot belly stove. You've seen his glory fill the room. And not just a few, but everyone in that room felt his presence. So had Habakkuk had these spiritual encounters with God. He had lived through a period of a national revival during King Josiah's reign to now a period of spiritual decline in a different hour of time. And now for him to see God's people and his nation slip into authority and sin was so disappointing to him. And many of you seasoned saints feel that very way today. From where this nation was to where it is today, from where the importance of church was to the insignificance towards it today is very disappointing to you. You lived during a time when God sent revival that led to repentance, not adversity. And even though Habakkuk knew Israel had failed in the relationship with God, even though he knew they had done wrong, he still loved them to the point he still couldn't stand the thought of their enemy prevailing over them. For him to see a vision of God allowing his people to be attacked by the enemy it seemed, seemingly appeared God was silent and not interceding at this time as he had so many times before. It was hard for him to understand. It was perplexing to his faith. So what was Habakkuk's burden? In this case, Habakkuk was weighed down by the fact he was surrounded by iniquity, perverse judgment among his people, and it seemed, say the word, say seemed. Seen means it gave an impression of, usually a physical appearance, as though it was what it appears to be. To this prophet, it seemed or appeared as though God was turning a blind eye to it all. But was he? How many of you feel that way today? How many of you today see what's going on around us right now? As we are surrounded by iniquity and perverse judgment, and the appearance of that evil is prevailing, corruption is escalating, morality is disappearing. How many of you are saying it seems like God has turned a blind eye to it all? If we would be honest, many see it that way by how it physically appears. 
Day after day, you see evil appearing to be winning, sin abounding, and innocent people being perversely judged. You see things with your very own eyes, physically taking place around you, and you feel hopeless. In verse 2, it tells what the prophet saw that burdened him so much and led to his verbal complaint to God. Here, Habakkuk is asking God, why is he delaying judgment upon their enemy? He pleaded to God in prayer. Now, I'm going to try to read his prayer in a way to dramatize his anguish. Now, I'm going to need an amen corner right here to help me play this out. So I want you to follow my lead. When I point to you, shout amen. Let's try it. You ready? Amen. All right. Let's try it. Okay. Maybe Habakkuk's prayer has even been your prayer. Let's hear his prayer and find out. Here it goes. How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Amen. Violence is everywhere, and I cry, but you don't come to save. Amen. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Amen. Why? Why must I look at all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. Amen. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Amen, amen, and amen. I just read in scripture what many of you are feeling this very hour and have even been praying. Habakkuk saw trouble and sin everywhere from personal relationships to the courts of law to corruption and deceit. He saw his nation was divided because of these things. Dear Lord, I see it too. This distressed him so much that he cried out to God and asked God why he didn't bring judgment and immediately correct things. Let me ask you tonight, have you ever asked God to bring correction to someone or something? And when he did, you didn't like how he did it? That's what we're fixing to deal with in this chapter. Not only in this chapter, but also deal with as a nation. I believe many are praying like never before. Churches are praying. Prayer groups are praying. Intercessors are praying. Preachers, teachers, and prophets are praying. And we're crying out to God, asking him to bring judgment on the wicked, to correct our nation, and we should. Because only God can do this feat. But church, be prepared we may not like how he does it, but this is what we got to learn today, that however he chooses to do it, when we have asked him to do it, we have got to absolutely trust him by believing he has a plan, that he's in control, and realizing this isn't the first time he's allowed to look, well, he's allowed it to look like the enemy is winning, only to destroy them at the, an appointed time when he's done using them for the greater good. All the time the enemy thought they were in control. They had finally gained the power over God's people. They longed for that all the time it appeared God was being mocked. He was actually just using them. Church, God will not be mocked. Not back then. Not today. Not tomorrow. Never, ever, 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 ever. I speak that tonight with everything going on. And how it all appears to say, just wait and see. 
Who gets the victory? Just wait and see who wins in the end. The Lord hears Habakkuk's burdensome anguishing prayer. And the Bible declares he hears our prayers and that when we pray, he answers. That's a promise he makes. Well, in verse 5, he answered Habakkuk as he promised. The Lord replied to his prayer then, in church, I hear God replying to our prayers now with the same reply that he gave Habakkuk that day when he answered his prayers. I believe he's given the same reply to the church today he gave then. His reply was, and he's saying today, as he did in Habakkuk 1, verse 5, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. And other by, words, by what you see, you don't believe I'm doing anything, but I am. Watch and see. It's so far from what you think I should or would be doing. In other words, you don't have a clue what I'm up to. So many think they do. There's voices everywhere, and you better be careful who you're listening to. God said, if I told you, you wouldn't even understand it. But sit back and watch and be astounded by my ways that are above your ways and by my thoughts that are above your thoughts. I will break through for you in a way that will not only astound you, but will surprise you and your enemy. Children of the Most High God, hear me this night. God says, your criticism of me expresses to me you don't absolutely trust me because you don't see it. I must not be doing nothing about it. Leading you to believe that's what's happening must be out of my control. Thus saith the Lord. Would anybody in here be feeling that way today about what we as a nation are experiencing? You're wondering, where is God? Why isn't he doing something? Does he not see what we see? Worried that if he doesn't do something by January the 20th, we're toast. Let me tell you something. God's got a lot more in his mind than just an election destroying our nation. To him, an election doesn't vote him out, but the sins of a nation can keep him out. An election doesn't destroy a nation. The sinful hearts of the people do. Have you ever considered with what has happened, this could all be a part of God's plan? To think that God would allow our enemy to attack us? That would be hard to understand, wouldn't it? It would be perplexing to your faith, wouldn't it? No different than it was in Habakkuk's day. Oh, and by the way, there's still 10 more days. It's not over till it's over. But I will say, no matter who's present on January the 20th, the days of sorrow are still coming. It's prophetic. Perilous times will come in the last days. There's a lot that's going on in people's minds today. As to say, Master, do you care that we perish? So many questions then and so many questions now. Let's remark on a few of the things God just said to Habakkuk. He told him he would be utterly astounded. God told the troubled prophet, don't worry about it. Look at the surrounding nations and from them will come a nation. That will be my instrument of judgment on sinful Judah. I'm not certain what the instrument of judgment is going to be on sinful America, but I assure you, assure you there will be one. Could this be it? He told him, I will work a work in your days which you would not believe if I told you. 
Church, get ready. God was speaking, though, of a work of judgment. So astounding that Habakkuk would have a hard time believing it, how something so bad could be used for their good. God told him, he said, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that when the Babylonians eventually come against Judah, they came as sent by the Lord. It wasn't that they themselves did not want to come against Judah, but God allowed their sinful desire to conquer Judah, to come to fruition as part of a plan for Judah to turn back to him. If God had not allowed them to do it, they never could have conquered Judah and exiled God's people out of the promised land. Now, as hard as it is to understand this was God's plan, as much as it appeared the enemy was winning, it was all for a greater purpose. This was God's plan. It was even hard for a prophet like Habakkuk to understand. Why would God use a more wicked nation to correct a wicked nation? See, human reasoning was perplexing his faith. In verse 6, God goes on to tell Habakkuk what he's up to and why. He says, it's true. I'm sending the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, a bitter and a hasty nation to your nation of Judah. The Chaldeans are ruthless and they're violent and they're going to seize and possess dwelling places. They're not, they're, that's not theirs. Habakkuk, I'm allowing this, and I know you have trouble understanding this as I told you you would, but you're going to have to absolutely trust me and believe I'm in control and it's for the greater good of the nation. I'm allowing it to bring correction to my people because they are a violent and perverse and lawless people. But through this destruction, through this oppression, I'm actually bringing my people back to me to a place where they'll have no choice but to once again trust in me and not a man nor a government. Upon hearing this, the prophet Habakkuk responds back with complaint of God's plan once again. But he takes a different approach. Habakkuk begins to remind God of who he is. Oh, Lord, my God, are you not the Holy One? He even felt he needed to remind God. Your eyes can't behold evil, and you just can't simply look on wickedness. And then he challenged him once again about his methods. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously? And why do you hold your tongue when the wicked devours a righteous person? Why, God, why? Why don't you do something? I don't understand. Habakkuk has a hard time understanding his plan, as God had told him he would. Our infinite wisdom is no match for his. I said to Habakkuk, our finite wisdom is no match for his infinite wisdom. Forgive me. Chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk says, I will go stand my watch on the rampart, and I'm going to wait to see what he's going to say to me this time. Then the Lord answered him again with instruction. He says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision yet for a appointed time, but the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. God told him to write the vision of what he saw, let people read it, and it's going to happen at an appointed time. He also assures Habakkuk that even though he will use the Babylonians as the instrument for Israel's punishment, he too will punish Babylon also for everything they do to Israel and will destroy them as well. What God showed Habakkuk was the proud won't survive it. But during these times, the just will if they will live by faith. In other words, if they live by absolute trust in him. 
And God is saying today, church, times are going to get rough. Your faith is going to become perplexed. You're going to have trouble understanding things. But what I'm allowing is going to be for the greater good of this nation. When my work is complete, it will set the nation back in order and the church back in order and a reformation will take place. But you're going to have to absolutely trust me that I'm in control. And when I'm finished with the work I'm allowing the enemy to do, that will be the day and hour in which I will destroy what tried to destroy you. In other words, there's an appointed time for all of this church. That's why I keep saying I believe revival is going to spring up right in the midst of all of this darkness. There has got to be pockets, places of refuge, refuge where the hurting and the lost and the undone can find refuge and safety. And that's the responsibility of the church in these dark times to be the light of the world. They're not going to have to be begged to come in. They are going to come running in. And what will they find? God's going to bring his people out of darkness into his marvelous light. To where the light will grow as faith once again grows. Eventually, utterly destroying the darkness all around us. And then, then turning it into a national last day revival. A great awakening. All orchestrated by God for the good of his people. And we're going to have to learn how to be the church for this hour. Church, get ready to be astonished. For I will do a work in your days. I'm not sure what all God is going to allow our enemies to do in these days to come. But remember what he told Habakkuk. There are only instruments of my judgment upon Judah. Not to destroy them, but to save them, to turn sinful nation back around. Do you know why God is going to shake everything on this earth? To get your mind off the temporal things. And to get you to focus on the internal things, the things that really matter. So we will be a people prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ we heard about this morning, church. It's coming. The revival we are looking for is for the purpose of harvesting souls. Do we honestly know how many churches aren't harvest-minded? It's got to change. Whatever we go through in the coming days, the just are going to have to live by faith. God says they're going to have to absolutely trust me instead of accusing me. You're going to have to pronounce by faith, I don't know how and I don't know when, but I know our God is working on my behalf. I may not see it, but by faith, I know it. He promised he'd never leave us. He promised he would never forsake us. He promised he's for us and he's not against us. He's got a plan, and even if I knew it, I would probably have trouble understanding it. <clears throat> God says, regardless, whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, you got to trust me, and in return, I will astound you. You will declare, I never thought it would happen like that. I never dreamed it would have taken that. There's a couple of things we can learn from Habakkuk's days to help us better understand today. Even when things seem chaotic, God is still in control. God wants what's best for us even when it's hard. Totally understanding how God works is not our responsibility. Trusting him is. Look how Habakkuk concludes. Look at the reasoning he comes to. Look how he approaches the hour before him. He declares, though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, that there are no sheep in the pen and there's no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. 
Are you ready to come to that place as the body of Christ and come to that place of absolute trust that no matter what the government does, no matter what the economy does, I will rejoice in the Lord. That can only be done when you come to a place that you absolutely trust him. That no matter what state you find yourself in, the Apostle Paul referenced this in Philippians 4.12. He said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living plenty or in want. He said, whether I'm based or I'm abounding, I'm content in whatever state I find myself in because I learned how to be. He even declared it was a secret. We all know when something is a secret, that means not too many people know it. In this case, not too many people know how to do that during these times. The life we're now living can be difficult. At some point, most of us have wondered, where is God? We've even thought it seems like evil's winning and God is silent. We as believers now have a choice to make as to how we respond to the difficulties in our lives, which may even become more difficult in the days to come. Will we choose, in spite of what may come my way, yet I will, I will rejoice in the Lord today? That in itself is very difficult to do for many. That is why we must be willing to learn how to absolutely trust God, to learn the secret of it. The, Habakkuk, the prophet had an attitude worth noting. After all his considerations of all the choices that he could have made, his final choice was he decided to rejoice in spite of the season he was in. Has anybody here decided that yet? Come what may, hell or high water, I will rejoice. Habakkuk was troubled by the moral and spiritual decline of the world around him, like many of us today. I know I'm disturbed and I'm concerned about it, but do you know what even troubled him more so was God's response to it all? He was bothered with why would God use the wicked nation of Babylon to punish Judah? His faith became perplexed because of God's decision. He did not understand God's plan. However, he still chose to rejoice because he had learned to rely on the steadfast love and faithfulness of God he trusted. Just because he couldn't understand it, he didn't rebel against it. He just took the approach, I don't understand this, but I have learned to trust God because I know that he's righteous in all of his ways. See, our circumstances should not dictate whether we are joyful. According to Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. This talks of a peace that we can have in the midst of our troubles, that we can't even understand how we can have peace in a time like this, but we have it. It tells us peace guards our hearts so that our joy cannot be destroyed. This is the kind of peace that enables us to be joyful even in the most difficult times. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, let me share with you one of the greatest examples of having absolute trust in God. One of the most powerful demonstrations of faith of having absolute trust in God. I want to share this with you tonight. A historical writer named Josephus tells of this account of a man who became known as John. John, in an old age, ended up in prison like so many believers in his time did. You see, John lived in a time in Rome where they were persecuting Christians. They were killing Christians in Rome at that time a hundred a day, a hundred a day for four long years. They would ask the Christian, do you believe in Jesus? 
Then if they said yes, then today you die. This is not fictional. It's recorded in history. If they came and drug you out of your house tonight, what would you say to their demand? Would you deny him or would you be willing to be crucified? Many think they know. John hears the footsteps that day of the Roman soldiers coming to get him. They took him. They walk him up a ramp. He's still got a short time to change his mind if he wills, but he keeps climbing up. Looking down, he sees below him a six-foot-deep pot of boiling oil waiting for him. One of the Roman soldiers takes him to the edge of that plank, threatens him again. And he says, last chance, John. All you got to do is deny Jesus. John shouts, I can't do it. I can't deny him. They scourge him more. Don't you know how painful this is going to be, John? And John cries out, yes, 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 I know. But I promised him I would die for him. And he promised me I wouldn't die till I see him. I got to trust him regardless of what I got to go through. You know, inside of him, he's human. There had to be concerning thoughts. Okay, God, where are you? I'm taking a stand. I'm absolutely trusting you. I'm not backing down like the others. I made you a promise, and you made me a promise, so where are you? They take John, and they throw him into the pot of boiling oil. Josephus gives us a descriptive writing of what he saw. He says all of John's facial hair, all of his hair on his body, all the hair on his head, he said it was instantly gone. And John flopped around in the boiling water as the soldiers stood, and they laughed, and they mocked him. Josephus wrote, he looked like a porpoise splashing in the water, describing his skin as that of a dolphin. He's splashing around and doesn't even look human anymore. And history records as the Roman soldiers with their hardened hearts watched, something took place much to their surprise. All of a sudden in that room, the laughter ceased. And the soldiers began to watch intensely. Something was happening before their very eyes they never experienced before. Although the oil was scalding, John would not die. What should have been over in a matter of a few minutes was an ending. John wouldn't die. They had bowled a hundred a day. What's going on here? Why is this man not dying? No one survives this much pain. The soldiers eventually couldn't take it anymore. The one in charge hollers, stop it, get a stick, pull him out. And they pull this raw piece of meat out with the stick, and they lead him over the side. And he falls to the ground. He's burnt beyond recognition, but he's still alive. Where are you, Lord? He cries out in his mind. And one soldier, out of compassion, throws a coat on him. They ordered him to immediately be taking him away. They took John, the man who wouldn't die, to a deserted isle, the Isle of Patmos. They left him to die all by himself, never to see his family again. And he's laying on the island all alone, and he's praying. And the Bible records that all of a sudden he hears a voice behind him. And it's recorded in Scripture. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard a voice behind me saying, 
I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am he that was dead, and I am alive. John. John. He said, yes, Lord. And the promise came to pass. As promised, he saw Jesus before he died. John. John. Yes, Lord. Let's write the book of Revelations. Let's tell the world what's going to happen in the last days. And for the next 10 years on that island, all by himself, John wrote the book of Revelations with those mauled hands. I'm talking about John the Revelator. It's one of the greatest examples of having absolute trust in God, regardless of what you've got to go through to receive his promises. Nothing could stop nor convince him to deny Christ. Why? Because he had an absolute trust in the Lord. God had made him a promise, 1 John chapter 4, that he would see him before he dies. Not even the threat of a boiling pot could break his trust in God. God didn't show up, church, and rescue him from it. To me, that's perplexing. When a man exercised his faith to the point he did, and he lets him be thrown into a boiling pot. They caused him to suffer, but they couldn't kill him because God had a plan for his life. Because John had a promise, and he absolutely trusted in God's promise. And as a result, look at what only one man ever had the privilege of experiencing. Church, none of us is certain what's ahead of us, what we might have to face in the coming days. God may elect for us to go through it instead of rescuing us from it. But if he allows us to go through it, we have the promise he will go through it with us. Like he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they faced a fiery furnace because they would not bow down to any other God but Jehovah. They would not compromise. They had every opportunity to bow. But instead they said, we will not bow. Our God will deliver us. But even if he don't. He's, they absolutely trusted God by faith. And God didn't stop them from going through the fire, but he went through the fire with them. And as a result of their sacrifice and trust in him, God did a greater work that day. A whole nation was turned back to God. I said in the beginning of my message that we must learn how to grow from a, a faith of perplexity and doubt in the worst of times to the height of absolute trust in God. That will in return bring forth a refreshing upon a nation, even down to that of an individual believer that has become lethargic and perhaps even reckless in a relationship and dependence upon God. I've talked about our nation and what the church must be to it at this time. But now I want to talk to you individually about your faith. A lot of you are finding your faith so perplexing in these times. You've got so many questions. You've got so many misunderstandings. You're going through so many things you never thought you would have to. And perhaps you're wondering, God, where are you at? You're struggling to absolutely trust God. You can trust him this far, but you can't trust him this far. You're not willing to go through anything if you must. You're willing to compromise to avoid having to. Yet a lot of you have promise over your life. This church as a whole does. 
If we have absolute trust in God and we're willing to go through whatever it takes, we too will receive the promise. A lot of people don't want his promises. It costs them something more than what they're willing to do. When things that are required to endure don't look like things God would require, being beaten or shipwrecked or tortured or crucified, when it becomes perplexing, too hard to figure out why God would allow this, but after the attack is over, after the test is over, and you have stood in absolute trust in God, the reward is incomprehensible. You find you went through what you went through was, was being allowed to strengthen you, not to destroy you. It was designed to do a greater work through you. We judge God more by what we face than by what he promises. For too long, the church has won a revival for the wrong reasons. We want it for the church that's saved. We want the gifts for ourselves. But church, God wants it for the lost to be saved, to save a nation. There's a lot of us in here tonight who are going through things, things we don't understand, things that have caused our faith to become perplexed. We don't understand often what's going on. We don't know why God hasn't intervened yet. We don't know why he's choosing or allowing things to happen like they are. But who in here tonight will say, in spite of what I'm going through, I will rejoice in the Lord? Amen. Who would say tonight, I have realized I haven't trusted him as much as I should have? I'm not going to rejoice because of my circumstances but I'm going to rejoice because the God who's in control of my circumstances. I'm to count on all joy when I fall into divers' temptations. I'm going to trust that even though I don't see him, I know he's working. Even when I don't feel him, he's working. I'm going to believe that he never, never, never stops working. I have decided tonight I am going to absolutely trust him. In the midst of it all, for what lies ahead for our nation, we're going to have to absolutely learn to trust him. If it takes God using our enemies to turn this nation back to God, so be it. Even though you don't understand it, just trust him and God will see us through. Isaiah said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, You'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I hear the Lord saying, palace of praise, look among the nations and watch and be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days. Would you, which you would not believe, though I were told to you. Come on, somebody. I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. I see what you see. I feel what you feel, but I choose to rejoice in the Lord. Astound us, O Lord, with your presence. The, the prophet Habakkuk prayed, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. He was praying, Lord, I've heard about who you are, and I've heard about your mighty acts in earlier times that you've done for your forefathers. Now do what you did for them then for us now because I know you can. I mean, here we are, closer than ever, as the pastor preached this morning, to the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
I mean, it's very apparent prophetic fulfillment and signs project we're living in the last days. And based upon where our country is now headed, headed, we can be assured hearts of men and women will wax cold even more so. So does anyone believe that Christ loves us enough to deal with our sins and hopes to prepare us for his coming? Does anyone believe he's going to prepare a bride for the bridegroom? He, has he not promised that? Does anyone believe it's his desire before the sickle is placed to the harvest that he wants the harvest to be plentiful? Does anyone believe that he truly loves the people of the United States? If so, let me hear a good amen. amen. Musicians, if you will come. Church, if you'd stand with me. God's fixing to do some amazing things in the body of Christ. We also got to claim that we are a victorious church in the times of defeat, in the times of national unrest. Victory is cheap in prosperous times, but it's, pri but it's priceless in the dark times. We can either fold in our defeat or we can rise up in faith and declare the God of the mountains is still God of the valleys. It's easier to serve God in the good times, but who will serve him through these perplexing times that are shaking not only our nation, but our faith? Many already through these times have found they weren't as spiritually sound as perhaps they thought they were. Yet through it all, you're growing stronger each day. Christianity is not a passive profession. It's a passionate confession of faith. Recognizing, Lord, we're nothing without you. Our whole being is dependent upon you. I'm going to ask tonight, everyone who will, in just a moment, to come to this altar. If you say, Lord, I'm perplexed in my faith, but I choose to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of it all my circumstances. And I want to learn the secret of how to absolutely trust you. Tonight, I want you to come and rejoice before you leave tonight. I'm going to invite the whole church to come. To let God know you still trust him. That in spite of the circumstances, in spite of what you're going through, in spite of what the nation's going through, you'll still lift up his name in spite of everything going around. I'm going to ask you to come and acknowledge him. And let him direct your path. I'm going to ask you to come and make the decision to choose to do what Habakkuk did. I choose to rejoice in the Lord. Everyone that will, come join me in this altar and we're going to rejoice. I'm going to ask John, you all, play us a song that we can rejoice to. And we're going to rejoice in spite of all that's going on, in spite of what we're going through, in spite of what we're we might have to face. We're going to learn how to have an absolute trust in the Lord. That is what we've got to have in these days. Let us rejoice. <laughs>